Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello, hello, and welcome to today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Got an echo here. Hold on. Helen from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with empowerment, liberation, presenting what, presenting knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and here to empower you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. As always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. There's several ways you can do so. You can follow us on all of our social media. Uh, the Facebook network, uh, Facebook page is Zero Network on Facebook. On Twitter, show handle is at Zero Radio, at Z-E-R-A Radio. Personal handle is um, Yeah, wherever we are, we are. We invite you to welcome uh, join us. Yo, I... It, it's 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 been crazy. And, uh, I actually did a show last week. I was trying to upload. It had some difficulties. Didn't get uh, didn't have a show last week. So I'm going to be talking about stuff that happened maybe last week and a week prior today, as well as talking about uh, uh, Mother Emanuel, uh, five year anniversary of that. And Juneteenth, and the significance of the events is regarding to uh, gun violence prevention in black communities, as well as uh, the idea of ending racism, abolishing it totally. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know how that was going to how that's going to go. So y'all just bear with me, okay? Uh, but let me let me start off by saying. That um, this is ten years. Uh, next week officially marks ten years that we have been doing this broadcast, and I'm excited. And uh, we're working on uh, on the tenth anniversary show. Uh, we may air it next week. Um, we're gonna try because it's a lot that I want to get done for it. So y'all just bear with me. Um. And uh, we are – what else? It's something, my brain is not functioning. Y'all just <laughs> – well, let me get on to what I was going to – what I had actually talked about last week, talk about right now before uh, I get into this main thing. I talked uh, – if you remember the couple of broadcasts back, I talked about virtue signaling, and uh, the virtue signaling was – um, Trump and Pelosi uh, with Bibles. Uh, Trump, you know, went over to St. John's Cathedral and um, took a photo off with a Bible, held it upside down. When asked whose Bible was it, it was, he said it's a Bible. And it was, it was just horrible. You know, it, it was really just horrible altogether. But for uh, for his supporters i mean it was like yeah we have we have god on our side look at our president has the bible the sword 
of the spirit, the word of God in his hand, even though it's upside down, he has it. He's proved to he's proven to us that he knows uh he he knows what's up. Funny thing is, um is is that I'm trying I'm I'm doing too much. I I need to slow down. I'm doing too much. Is that that virtue signaling fell flat, really. It it, it was really very tone deaf for many across the country in the midst of all that was happening, you know, the rioting and the um the the uh or the occupation zone in Seattle. Uh, it, it was it just was poor timing, I believe. Even though he wanted to send a clear message, I think he was trying to convey. But the message backfired; it fell flat, you know. And and then not not shortly thereafter, uh, shortly thereafter, rather, uh, Nancy Pelosi and the delegation of leaders from the Democratic Party in Congress. Uh, knelt for eight minutes and forty six seconds, which was the time that uh the the officer had his knee on george floyd's neck and that was no there was no problem with the kneeling. The problem came is what they wore while kneeling they had on kente stoles stoles made of kente call, which offended a lot of uh Africans. Not African Americans, just Africans from Ghana in particular, uh, and it offended some African Americans because again, it was supposed to be virtue signaling. It's supposed to be saying we're on your side and all of this, and it fell flat. And I'm gonna just be honest with you. I I I strongly dislike when white people try to act symbolic acts to show their solidarity. With us, and and to be honest with you, it, it always is going to fall flat because it comes across as disingenuous. Uh, you saw uh, the 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 video of white people kneeling before black people. You saw the video, or well, there is video uh, videos of people, white people washing the feet of black people. There's videos of officers, black and white, kneeling before crowds, of protesters. And that's that's all good, but again, when when it's done in this way, in some ways it comes across as disingenuous. And virtue signaling, saying to other white people, and, th- and this is just funny to me, white people, <laughs> white people calling out other pe- white people as they should about racism, racism and and racist acts or or silence on the issues and and, and I, I get that they should you know they are the majority and it is their obligation to help the majority to see the uh the oppression and I, I do use that word kind of lightly. I don't really believe we are oppressed as black folk. I, I believe we we have moments of systemic oppression in history and that's very evident. We can't argue that. Um, I think in our current estate, we are far better off, far better off than our ancestors ever perceived or imagined they would be. Uh, I I mean, we're in a day and age where we can do and be anything, literally, you know, and we can date and marry anyone. We can go to any place. We can own any business, and we literally have several black folk who are billionaires. Uh, you know, billionaires, not just millionaires, billionaires, actually multi-billionaires. And so the argument that some use, some black people use, and some white people use about systemic oppression um, is is kind of rendered null in that. In that sense, uh, matter of factly, we have more freedom than we ever had before. Now, but the, the problem is not that we have freedom. The problem is still 
how that freedom is managed. And I'm a, I'm, a, I don't want to jump ahead, but um, I'm, a, I'm gonna talk about that later. But I want to get back to this virtue signaling. You know, President Obama, I mean President Trump and President Obama both did virtue signaling. Uh, Obama did it better because again he was, you know, he was biracial, full of charisma, and came across as empathetic toward the concerns people were having in the midst of all the um, unarmed uh, killings of black people or killings of unarmed black people. Oh, uh, not only the ones in police custody, but also the ones uh, that were not police involved that may have made national headlines, not the ones that made local headlines. And President Trump, you know, I won't say he's, I won't, I, I would never call the man a racist. I don't believe he's a racist. Um, I do believe he is very insensitive <laughs> at, at, at best, very insensitive. Um, um, there's a psychological egoism that he has. And if you don't know what psychological egoism is, it's all about, self-interest in so many ways and and president trump has has that issue you know um the self-interest is always he it always has to come back on him and the pettiness that he he shows towards people who uh don't (laughs) agree with him or go against him it's very obvious you know he's not very sympathetic but when I listened to his speeches over the last several um, months, I, I do hear him trying to be sincere as we wrestle through the coronavirus. And I do hear him, him trying to be sincere as he expresses uh, – what's the word I'm trying to find? Uh, it's not discontent, he's, but concern – about what the violence that has erupted over our, in our country, and definitely regarding uh, how police are now being perceived and uh, targeted in so many areas, some ways, in some areas they've been targeted, and, and all of this. And I do hear that he's trying to be presidential, and and with his signing of his executive order on. Um, uh, policing the other day he, he's trying to stay within the populist range you know he is trying to get reelected and he doesn't want to come across as a president who's tone deaf even though some people will have you believe that especially in media will have you believe believe that he's completely tone deaf and i won't say completely tone deaf he is definitely tone deaf um and he is he is certainly uh trying to figure out the best way to put this or in his favor you know at least for his base he wants to look favorably towards his base and towards those who are moderates like myself centrist in in so many ways that uh he can convince to vote for him in the upcoming election. And it is it's just the virtue signaling on the side of those more left leaning toward blacks comes across for me as more harmful to the cause that they're trying to push. And it's very evident. Uh <laughs> For example, there I, I wasn't aware of this, uh, but I, I you know the Black Lives Matter movement started off as a hashtag, and now is a a, a full movement. And I think they have a, a now they are a an organized uh, organization. They're an organized not for profit five hundred one c three, and I think it's called the Black Lives Global Movement. 
but there was a Black Lives Foundation that was started in 2015. The Black Lives Global Movement was actually incorporated in 2017, 2018, somewhere in there. So the Black Lives Foundation was started by a, a gentleman, a black gentleman in California who started in the same way, you know, uh, started it in, in, as a way to use uh, the the movement, uh, the uh, the moment, not the momentum of the movement, but to use the theme of the movement to bridge the relationships between uh, officers and black people, and that's why he started his foundation. And it just came out that people were giving. You know, uh, celebrities were asking you to donate to Black Lives Matter. Well, you know, Black Lives Matter in and of itself is a slogan. And most people don't know that there's an organization behind the slogan. And so they're just seeing Black Lives Matter and they're donating. So this guy, foundation that previously hadn't raised a lot of money, make well, you know, by by big donation standards, you know, I think they raised Two three hundred thousand um, dollars, one time, or last year, a year before. Anyway, not a lot of money, and most of that money was, you know, dedicated to projects. Nothing, uh, nothing directly geared toward uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And he he was differentiated because you know it's a community-minded organization, not a global, national-minded organization. Whereas the Black Lives Matter global movement is the that is the arm of the protests and all of that. Uh, I don't know who founded that or who was hierarchy, you know, high structure or anything like that. We really don't know. It's not like you can't find out, but uh, I, I just haven't investigated it. But anyway, these two have been clashing. Well, not really clashing. The media has caused it to clash because folk have been given to the Black Lives Matter Foundation thinking they're giving to the Black Lives Global Movement, and and they're calling, you know, they're calling one a fraud. And reality is, no, neither is a fraud. Uh, this guy started his foundation prior to the other one even being even though it was a slogan and a hashtag it was not hashtag it was not an organized uh, nonprofit organization. And now it is. And so folk are mad because they were given to uh, again <laughs> they were given to Black Lives Matter and and one is is dedicated to in in improving the relations between black people and police officers. And the other one has no central theme. No, no, you know. All they're saying is right now we're just protest. We don't. We're demanding everything. We're we're demanding uh, police be you know uh, what abolished. We're demanding this and that. You know, social things, and, and it's no core central idea because it's attached to a whole lot of things and, and part of it also comes with identity, you know, because you gotta include um identity, uh intersectionality in this too. So you can't just say black lives matter. You have to say black trans lives matter. You have to say uh black blah 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 and then yeah. Not that I'm anti any of that. Please don't take it that way, but I'm just talking about the way that movement, the global movement is is set up is is more uh, identity driven, less committed to true engagement, and and uh, I'm, y'all might disagree with me, and that's good. That, good that you do if you do. Um, and more committed to just you know we're gonna raise money to do something, and once we get this money, we'll do something. Whereas the other foundation has clear, at least by what I've read and uh there's no there's no affiliation between the two. Not that the yeah, the man who has his Black Lives Matter Foundation in California is anti Black Lives Matter movement. He just saying, you know, my goal is different. But anyway, so that's 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 one of the 
one of the things too that's that's this whole the whole thing these last several weeks has been hijacked. George Floyd's death has been hijacked. You know, we gave him we I say we but somebody funded his funerals. Funeral rolls with an S. Somebody funded that. If he was just another brother who got killed on the street, guess what? Nobody would have cared. But this impetus is at least is raising the awareness of the schism that still exists, relations in black communities between law enforcement. And that's not just the police. That also entails the, the judicial system in its entirety. You can't. You would not catch me saying uh, that there is no bias and discrimination, and in some ways systemic injustice created within the system of the justice system. You won't hear me saying that. I I, I rarely shared my negative interactions with um, police officers, but I've had them. You know, going back in high school. I, <laughs> I joke about it now, but I never forget. I was walking home from high school, uh, and I think I was walking home from band practice. But anyway, I was, I was, uh, I was carrying my trombone backpack, and I was wearing my blue Nike jumpsuit. And you know, this was doing the, I say this around ninety, yeah, ninety or ninety-one. So still at the height of the blood crip. Uh, drug thing and all of that But anyway So I get stopped by a cop And the cop literally says I fit the description of someone who had just committed uh, A crime And I looked at him like Look at me I got these thick glasses I got this trombone case I got a book bag full of books And I fit the description of somebody who just Committed a crime you gotta be kidding me! And he proceeds to, you know, put me against the car and, and frisk. And uh, I was in front of uh, one of the local stores, and the store owner came out and said, "Hey, that's Pee Wee. We know him. He didn't, he, you know, he came to my aid." And, and that's and mind you, this was a foreigner. <laughs> he wasn't black. That uh, he had black workers in the store, and the black worker came out and saw the police frisking me, and you know came to my aid and of course he said what he said but the owner came out and said the same back backed it up and they left me alone I was in high school and more recently just a couple of years back I was in one of the suburb areas here in the Metro Jackson area and had my boy Jackson in the car just taking him to the pet store and it was hot and I was going to uh, another store in the same little mall strip and you know, I had them secure, had water in the in the car, windows down. Some white lady calls the police. I Karen called the police. And the police comes and um and I'm coming out of the store of the Best Buy coming out and I see the cops at my car and I'm wondering what's going on. Did somebody try to break in and no, he somebody called because my dog was panting and they were Afraid that my dog was going to die in the car because of the heat. And that, you know, this was during the height of children dying because windows were left. You know, they were left in the car unattended. And I, you know, I can sense, I, I commend her for her concern. And the officer came and he was like, do you love your dog? Blah, blah, blah. He was literally trying to get confrontational with me. And I'm like, dude, it's just, you see, the windows are down. He has water. He's panting just because he's panting. That's what dogs do. But, the you know, the more I tried to explain, the more confrontational he became, raising his voice. And I had to intentionally remain calm because he did threaten to arrest me. He he threatened to arrest me. <laughs> and I had to laugh. Uh, not in his face, but I had to laugh after this encounter because I'm like, wow, really? So I, I can identify with, with all of that, and I rarely share stories like, like that. But I, I said all that to say that the reality of 
the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement versus the reality of Black Lives Matter, you know, Black Lives Mattering. There's a big difference, and, and there's a lot of virtue signaling from those who are engaged in the movement. Most of them are doing it to make themselves feel better that they are contributing to this cause that they believe is going on, and they just want to be a part of the moment. They want to be able to tell the story, yes, I did this, you know, and I and I, I go back to the term. I, I, I don't know if I coined it, but I, I've been saying it. It's regressive nostalgia to me. There's just this desire to – uh, go back to the good old days, both from, on both sides of the political spectrum and the ideological spectrum, in so many ways. You know, that's, they're 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 intentionally trying to revert us back to racism and segregation. I don't know why, but that's what's happening. It's not it's not to integrate us. It's it's not just to raise the awareness of the injustice and surely we could do something and, and people forget you know president trump actually has been uh i won't say a champion but he's actually done things favorably towards the black community regarding hbcus re- regarding uh criminal justice reform you know we got to give him some credit and we can't buy into the the <laughs> we can't buy into all the other negative stuff that uh, people are pushing about him, the narratives about him, and we can just look. We know he's petty. We know he he, <laughs> he can't control his his fingers or, or thumbs when he's text tweeting or whatever. We know that. You know, and no president has really had a a a deep meaningful relation with the relationship with the black community. Not 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 one. Not even President our, our beloved President Obama. Didn't really have it. Matter of fact, you know, he didn't have a good rapport with the Black Caucus, Black Congressional Caucus. So you know, uh, I got off on a rant. I didn't intend to say all of that. I, like I said, I was I, I knew I was going to be rambling. I didn't know I was going to be rambling that much. So um, let me take a break, and then when I come back from this break, I'm going to get back on task and get back on target and focus and and talk about really what I want to talk about uh, today as we do this sacred observance of uh, Mother Emanuel, the Emanuel 9 and Juneteenth. So I'm going to take this break. And I'll be back after this. Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. 
That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, that pretty much covered the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. Yeah, at first I thought it was just the stress of moving. Hey, who's using that? Think we own stock in the electric company? I will turn this car around right now. There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. <clears throat> it's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. You know, Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. Hello, welcome back to Zero Today. I'm your host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. You hear my dog back barking in the background. I can't help it. I don't know what he's barking at or who's fussing at. But uh, <laughs> yeah, is yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Anyway, welcome back to Zero Today. Uh, I'm glad that you joined us uh, again. If you are following us, uh, if you're not following us on social media, go check us out. Uh, Twitter handle at Zero Radio, Zero Network on Facebook. Go there, like, listen to archive shows, follow us, and uh, share all that stuff, whatever else. Also, um, go to my website, LorenzoTinia.com, and I might have something new up there. Anyway, uh, hush. <laughs> this is so rude. I, I don't know what's going on with him. Anyway, so today, Marks the fifth anniversary of the uh, shooting of nine individuals at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, they gathered on a Wednesday evening for their usual prayer and Bible study under the leadership of their pastor, the Reverend Clementa uh, Pinkney, uh, now Reverend Doctor posthumously um, they gathered and they welcomed a stranger a young white boy male into their gathering space and he sat and he listened as Pastor Pinkley taught and as they prayed they prayed with him 
And the young man, whose name I will not call, took out his gun and proceeded to shoot them mercilessly. Nine individuals, I called their name. If you don't know their name, their name, Reverend Clemente Clementa Pinckney. I don't know why I said that wrong. The Reverend Sharonda Singleton, the Reverend Dr. Daniel Super Simmons, uh, Miss Cynthia Hurd, Brother Twanza Sanders, Miss Ethel Lance, Susie Jackson, Myra Thompson, and uh, the Pain Militant Doctor. And it was another person, or at least two other persons, I believe, at least one other person injured, a young young girl. I can't recall her name, but uh, injured in that shooting. i never forget that night when I got a text saying that there was a shooting there at one of our AME churches. And you got to understand this, the AME church, we're a connectional church. We, um, we know, you know, word spreads pretty quickly. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm thinking there was a shooting and uh, nothing bad happened. Uh, At first, I was informed it was a shooting around the church, not in the church. And we later discovered that it was in the church. And we later discovered uh, the brutality of what happened. I grieve uh, Reverend Pinckney because... Rem Pinckney, uh, not only was he a state senator for South Carolina, but he took the church. He he was serving as presiding elder. He took the church, and um, you know, some folk would have seen it as a demotion. And he took it lovingly and said that he will work the work, and he did. He worked the work. The people were growing spiritually, numerically, and and. Um, he lost his life by serving in ministry, and that's no. I, I tell you, that's a great way to go. We lament as a connectional church. We lamented the loss of those lives because those were our brothers and sisters. Those were people, especially for my presiding bishop, family that he knew personally, and to see their lives taken was not only tragic. But grievous. Um, at the time, uh, our presiding bishop, Julius McAllister Sr., was serving as president of the Council of Bishops. And at the funeral services for Reverend Pinckney in particular, you know, it received national attention of President Obama. Uh, not only did he speak, but he also sang, sang Amazing Grace. And, uh, the the narrative for the person who carried out that great crime was, you know, the police, after arresting him, took him to Burger King to get something to eat. <laughs> and they, shared, they showed compassion toward him, this murderer. And so part of the reason why this, this murderer who actually expressed oh, racist beliefs and said that he he was hoping that his crime would spur a race war, and I'm glad it didn't. I, I'm really glad that it didn't. Um, but it it brought to light something that's that's still kind of silent in our country, and the reality is that there are people who still, no matter what. You do, no matter how Christian, how much Christian love you show towards them, will not share in that same love. And we have to admit, there are real people who don't care for black lives. That's just the reality and unfortunate. But this five years later, in the midst of all that's happening now, 
this needs to be a really a, a time for us to really just use these martyrs of faith as inspiration inspiration to show love God's love agape love to the world because they really need it and on Friday uh Many blacks will be observing Juneteenth, and it's funny to me. This is this is really funny to me that uh, up until now, most folk didn't even know what Juneteenth was. Even black folk didn't know about Juneteenth. I learned about Juneteenth way back in middle school, I believe, junior high school. I learned about it and the importance of it, and been a Unofficially and sometimes officially observing it. But now it's come to the attention only because <laughs> President Trump has scheduled a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on that day. And Tulsa, Oklahoma being the home of what was what has become known as Black Wall Street and the massacre that happened there in um, 1921, where hundreds of Blacks lost their lives because of a lie, and, and that seems to be the case most of the times in in history when black men or women were killed, lynched, or anything. It was usually based off a lie. A white person said, white woman said, uh, well, she'd be a Karen today. Um, and so we'll be observing that. And it's <laughs> it's like a perfect storm that's happening in our country today as we realize the brutality of racism that has existed in this country since its founding. And I know a lot of people don't even know, you know, they want to equate racism with slavery and all of that. Yes, there are people who are American descendants of slaves. You know, we are the, there are those of us who who know. That we are descendants of slaves, not by the color of our skin, but just by, you know, family traditions, oral traditions that, you know, some have kept it up. Uh, and they could tell, you know, back to generations that their family and their, you know, ancestors were this. We, we There are some who can attest to that. Um, and... It is time. I, I appreciate these. I appreciate the youth of this generation for being so vocal in addressing uh, the reality of uh, the injustice that Black people face, the history of racial inequity, the history of racial violence in this country. I, I think we should be. We should be commending them for doing that. I don't like that the fact I don't like that these same voices, you know, they have a different perspective too. And that, that's that's <laughs> that's fine. But I I don't like that these voices are being manipulated and being forced to to uh, use a specific narrative instead of being able to be liberated. And speak the truth. They're not really speaking truth to power. They're speaking a pro, uh, uh, prescribed truth, an acceptable truth, if you will. Something that's that's not too that's not too offensive, not not too uh, too mean for white people to jump on board to. And that's what's really happening. If you really just look at it, that's what you know. The, the sincerity is there. The um, the great great uh, um, influence is there, but the narrative is the problem because they're being given they're being given a narrative to follow, a storyline, if you will, to follow, prescribed and <laughs> predetermined. 
so that it would not, uh, you know, throw the people with the pocketbooks or with the real influence, won't throw them away. But they in themselves are being disenfranchised. They don't even realize it. They're being disenfranchised out of their own calling for Black Lives Matter. They're being disenfranchised out of that because uh, the Black Lives Matter is is being hijacked. And I said that earlier. It's being hijacked. And the sincerity of the people is being lost in the intersectionality of uh, of the cause. And that that becomes problem problematic for the reality. For that's why we can't ever really get anything done. You know, it got it has to be attached to something else. You know, when we reflect on the majority of the civil rights era movements, and I'm not just talking about the ones of the 50s and the 60s. I'm talking about the ones that, that go all the way back to Nat Turner, and um, all the way back to slave revolts. You know, they had they had one mind, and that one mind was, <laughs> look, we're going to be free or we're going to die. And I think we need that radicalism now. If we're going to say black lives matter, if we're going, you know, it took, it took one person coming down to Galveston, Texas, well not, well, not one person, but it took the army, the Union Army coming down to Galveston, Texas, with a proclamation that had actually been decreed two years prior. Tell these folks that they were free. They had no knowledge of it. No knowledge that they had been free two years prior. And I think that's part of the issue that we're we're going to we've been having and we've been seeing the last uh, at least the last eight to ten years. I think about in '96, it was the black man who was drugged behind a car in Texas. Um, I think his name was Jennings. I can't re- remember. We protested then. And we didn't see much happen. And post Katrina, when thousands of people lost their lives because of some ways government neglect, uh, we protested then. But we also saw crime <laughs> increase in the places where some of those folk went to. I'm not saying there's a correlation or causation there. I'm just making that, you know, making a statement. Um, we protested then, and of course we could go through the pantheon of names over the last eight years or more. Um, I say the last ten years. I, I just saw uh, the last ten years that um, we protested, we rioted. Go through the cities, the names of the cities, and all of that, and only to see it continue to happen again. And I, and I, mind you, all of these are isolated e- events that are now grouped together as one event. They're isolated, but it, it, the narrative makes it seem like it's you know concurring thing. That that's not the case. But the, but. What what will happen, and this is just me, what I believe will be happening is that they'll give us just enough to make us quiet. And we will go back to our normalcy collectively as blacks. And then when another egregious act of injustice happens, we will go back into this moment like we are in now because that is how they expect us to do that's what they expect us to do they don't expect us to continue to cry out they don't expect us to really demand actual things you know we can go on demanding and demanding and protesting and protesting and 
still not see actual uh, concrete things happen. Maybe in some areas, you know. Uh, the person who carried out that crime at Mother Emanuel AME Church was intentionally acting in a racist manner. Intentionally. But there are a lot of people who are not as overt in their racism. And we still see this today with a lot of God-fearing, sincere white people uh, misappropriating black people because they believe that if they're in certain spaces, it's almost improbable that they could be there. You know, not just the Karens of the world. <laughs> you know, you you shouldn't be in certain neighborhoods. You shouldn't have certain vehicles uh, or anything like that. That's where the systemic part comes in. You know, and while we while we are doing things towards criminal justice reform that favors blacks, mostly black and brown people. Uh, uh, there's an eternal heart issue. There's internal imagery that completely needs to be changed also. If we're going to say black lives matter, um, that goes with the perception of black lives. Also, what black men can and can't do, can and can't be. What black women can and can't do and can and can't be. How likable they are to white people. More than will reflect how how acceptable they are to white people. And I, I said it. I, I said it before. I'm part of the black bourgeois. Uh, you know, I'm educated, uh, fairly independent financially, um, very articulate, and able to express all that stuff. And so, I, I'm I'm acceptable. I, I'm acceptable, but I have a brother on the other hand. I, I have relatives on the other hand who still live in the hood. And they do sag. <laughs> they do smoke weed. And, and they're just as articulate as I am. But if they were to be seen by a white person, the automatically Im- the imagery would automatically dictate that something is, you know, I got to avoid them. I don't want to engage with them because they don't fit the imagery. Uh, if anything, Juneteenth this year, 155 years later, if anything, it should help us see that freedom comes with a cost and freedom can still be denied. Freedom can still be denied. We could get rights, and those rights may not be taken away from us in 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 real in real time, but <laughs> those persons who control how those rights are, are prescribed can and might. You know, it's more than just protesting. And yes, it, protesting as well raises awareness and is very much a part of of our legacy and should be a part of our genetic, you know, ID. That's black folk. But uh, till we get true voting power, and when I say true voting power, I'm not I'm talking about voting for blacks who can be independent thinkers, voting for for blacks who won't toe party line. You know, 
I, I get upset when I see uh, people, you know, blacks tearing down other blacks for thinking, you know, outside of groupthink. You're supposed to be able to think for yourself. You shouldn't be letting folk tell you, oh, if you don't like, <laughs> and I said it before, every black person should have been offended when Joe Biden said, if if you're having problems about voting for me, then you ain't black. Every black person should have been offended by that. It says, or it implies that you can't think for yourself. And last I tracked, every person has rational mind and the means to be able to engage the world around them. The self-determination that this country was founded on, that uh, most people, both parties, espouse, you know, the idea of self-determinism, you know, what people come to this country for. The massacre at Emmanuel shows how that can be taken away. Juneteenth shows how that can be given, but delayed. And right now, we're in a very pivotal moment for collective black America. And I, and I say this, I've said it before and I said it again, we're not monolithic. We, we shouldn't try to be monolithic. And I, I believe there are powers established to try to make us conform, but we ought to be like Dr. Martin Luther King said, we ought to be transformed nonconformists. Especially if you're Christian, be transformed nonconformist. The white folk, not all of them wanted him doing what he was doing. As long as he was saying peace, love, and nonviolence, they loved him. But once he began to step out of his lane, that was his lane, and began to be vocal about the oppression, the real oppression that was happening with, with housing, working, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah, that's when they that's when they killed him. <laughs> I say they collected him, but we know an individual killed him. And we as a as a collective black, even though we're not monolithic, there's one thing we should all agree on. We are empowered more now than ever before. Our voice is amplified more now than ever before take advantage of this and use it for liberation. And when I say liberation, I'm not talking about, um, you know, I'm not talking about going back to Africa. I'm not talking about segregation or anything like that. I'm, I'm simply saying that we should control the narrative. We should control the means and the methods of how we want to see black lives change. When we say Black Lives Matter, and we ought to say this is why it matters. And we we have the means of doing it. We have the collective voice to do it. And we don't be wasting our time, you know, because, again, we look at the, the what is it called, Chaz in Seattle, the, uh, 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 CHOP or whatever they're calling it there in Seattle. Those are mostly white folk. They're treating they're treating our movement, and I, I'm using our. I probably shouldn't say our. But they're treating the Black Lives Matter movement as a means uh, of nostalgia. We're gonna create a free zone where we can engage in our own our own self interest, and that's that egoism I was talking about earlier. It ain't really about black folk. It ain't really about black black lives. There are plenty of folk who are just in it just to be in it. And that's why we got to be careful as collective people. If we're going to voice this, this angst, this frustration, and all of that, if we're going to voice it, if we're going to put it out there, we need to control it. And not only do we need to control it, but we need to use it, weaponize it to our advantage. You know, should be seeing it politically reflected and not just electing folk who are going to regurgitate another narrative 
to keep getting elected, but who will actually be, uh, you know, ones who say, look, I stand my own ground, you know, I can think for myself, and I can help my people better understand policies that supposedly be directed towards them that, you know, may not even be in their best interest. That's just how it is. And that's what we should do. Anyway, I've run out of time. I appreciate you for tuning in. Again, I want to invite you to, if you haven't done so, uh, support me by becoming a patron. And go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. And you can donate there for a little as a dollar a month. Go to the website. You can now subscribe to my website. And you can get uh, exclusive intervent, uh, blah, 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 exclusive uh, uh, articles and things that uh, will you know, just I just don't post. And uh, again, follow us on all social media. Um, if you haven't done so, I invite you to get a copy of my books. You can go to LorenzoTNeal.com and see that. But anyway, if you're going to celebrate Juneteenth, remember the ancestors. Lift them up and build on what they died for. We got the power and the means to do so. So having said all that, I'm going to get on out of here, and I hope that you guys have a great rest of the day and the week, and the Lord be with you. Till we meet again, I'm out. <laughs>